Hi everyone, this is the Supported Sobriety Podcast. I'm Matt, and I'm in recovery from an addiction to pornography. And I'm Katie, and I've been married to Matt and supporting him in his addiction for four years. We created this podcast to bring hope, healing, and greater understanding to both men struggling with pornography addiction and women who support someone struggling with an addiction. I upload episodes for men with pornography addictions. And I upload episodes for the women who are supporting their loved one. We share real stories from members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but anyone is welcome to listen, and we believe everyone can benefit from finding peace through Jesus Christ. We hope that this podcast can bring you closer to Jesus Christ and help you on your journey of recovery and healing. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy this episode of Supported Sobriety. Hi everyone, I am super excited for you to hear this interview today. This was something that was really fun for me because I was able to interview one of my former professors at BYU, Dr. Shalom Eastwood-Levitt. She is one of the coolest women that I know. I low-key want to be her. Matt always teased me when I came home from classes and was like, how was Shalom today? What did you learn from Shalom? Because he just knows that I love her so much. And I do, she is so awesome. And you'll be able to see how awesome she is too. So I'm going to give you a little bit of background on Dr. Levitt. So Dr. Levitt attended BYU as an undergraduate in economics and then went to J. Reuben Clark's law school. She practiced family and estate law and then returned to get her master's degree in marriage, family, and human development. She received her PhD from Penn State and she's an assistant professor at Brigham Young University and that's how I know her and she has just shaped me so much from the time that I was at BYU. She also wrote a book with a few other co-authors called Sexual Wholeness in Marriage, which is amazing. I recommend it to everybody who is about to get married or who is married. Love the book so much. And she also has a podcast called The Sexual Mindfulness Project. And I think that's fairly new, so you can go check that out. She talks a lot about um, sexual mindfulness. She talks about women and sex, and she is just so knowledgeable, and that's what a lot of her research is about. So... She is really amazing. I really loved this interview. I was able to talk to her about sex and how it relates to pornography addiction in marriage and what that is like for my audience. This is something that I am really excited to share. We talk a lot about communication, how to talk about sex, how to talk about it in relation to a pornography addiction. We talk about sexual mindfulness and how you can feel more mindful in your body and as an individual so you can enjoy sex more, how you can feel less critical and judgmental of you or your spouse. And we also talk about emotional intimacy and how that relates to sexual intimacy. So I hope that whatever stage of life you are in right now or whatever stage of addiction or recovery you're in, you can find some things that will be valuable to you and to your marriage by listening to Shalom and what she has to bring. So I'm so excited for you to listen to this interview. Here's Shalom. Hi, Shalom. I'm so excited to have you here today. Thank you, Katie. I'm thrilled that you're doing this sort of thing. Oh, thank you so much. I'm a total fangirl over here. I think you are so awesome. I've already given like an intro to my audience about who you are, but I just love your work. I love everything you do. And you have really inspired me in my life and just really changed so much about the way I think about education and families and marriage. So you were just so amazing. Thank so you, excited. Katie. That's kind of you. Yeah. Well, I just wanted to get to know you a little bit more and have our audience get to know you a little bit more too. 
So if you wouldn't mind just kind of telling me about you, about your family, what you're doing right now. Okay, well, a little about me. I have been married for almost 32 years and uh, we have nine kids and uh, they are spread out from 30 to four. And then we have five grandkids too. We have four granddaughters and we just got a little grandson. So it's pretty fun. And truthfully, I I know you've heard me say this in class lots of times, but um, being a mom is the best thing I've ever done. I 100% adore my children. I adore being a mother. So yeah, that's, that's kind of my family as far as what I do. Um, for work, I am a professor, uh, an assistant professor at BYU in the School of Family Life, and I teach classes about sexuality and marriage, and um, I do research on those topics uh, as well as mindfulness. Um, how, how does mindfulness play into your relationship and into your sexual relationship, your sexual experience? And uh, so I love the research I do because it's so positive and within an individual's control. You don't have to have partner buy-in for mindfulness. It's something you can just start to change internally and it, and watch the effects in the rest of your life. It's, it's a really positive thing. It is so positive. I love that. And I just loved your classes that I took from you. I think they were kind of progressive almost for BYU, you know, which is really interesting. And I think a lot of people need to hear about sex and about mindfulness in relation to the gospel and in a healthy eternal marriage. Yeah. It's so interesting that you say it's progressive. And I think you're right. A lot of people would say that, but in, in reality, um, I think sometimes we don't understand our own doctrine We don't understand how beautifully sexuality and spirituality blend with each other. And I think that that puts us at a disadvantage instead of having this step up and really understanding how God made us and what he hopes for us, you know, in our relationships, Mm -hmm. um, we kind of are a little timid and even ashamed about our sexual well definitely just even talking about it right like you might understand that in your marriage and you feel really safe and comfortable talking to your spouse about that but learning about it in a class from people who are experienced is just next level I loved that so much where I was able to learn from you and learn what a healthy sexual marriage should look like and I think that's missing. And a lot of, like we said, kind of like in the church or in discussions about the church, some of that is missing. Yeah. I'm really glad to hear you say that. What I think is so beautiful is how my research really has uh, informed my testimony and vice versa. I feel like the research we're doing about healthy, committed sexual relationships inside marriage really just helps us better understand why Heavenly Father would give us these boundaries uh, to keep our sexual expression in a relationship within a committed marriage. Mm -hmm. That's the best place for us to to use our sexuality because it's likely the most, it's the safest place. It's the place where we can have the most pleasure. And, And the purpose of sex is to connect us deeply to this partner. And, and that's what a committed marriage provides. 
Yeah, exactly. And that's exactly why I wanted you to come on the podcast because you speak so beautifully about sex and relationships and intertwine it all with the gospel, which I think is Mm -hmm. sometimes hard to do, or maybe you don't find that very often, but in my experience and what my husband Matt and I have experienced is our sexual relationship declined as he was in his addiction to pornography, as I was finding out about it. And he was dishonest with me. There were just so many hard things, so many heightened emotions about sex. And when I'm not trusting Matt, when I'm finding out about his addiction, feeling low self-esteem, it was really difficult in those moments. So I'm really excited to hear what you have to say, how you can strengthen your sexual relationship in your marriage, even if you are kind of struggling in that way. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's a little scary to be vulnerable with your partner mm-hmm. about things that you know are are not going to be received well. And so we we do lie. Uh, you know, most of us um, have a little struggle being totally honest with each other, particularly when it's something big like a pornography, you know, use. And um, it's important for us to start to understand how to communicate better with each other and understand that trust might've been broken, right? And and we can't just ignore that. Mm-hmm. We have to start rebuilding that. It's really important that we don't try to gloss over what is reality in our relationship. And instead we hit it for head, head on. And that takes a lot of courage, mm-hmm. as you know, <laughs> that takes a lot of courage. It does. So many couples have differences in their sexual relationships. And then when a pornography addiction is added into that, it seems like the differences become even bigger and they're just like so glaring in your relationship. It seems like everything kind of starts to decrease at that point. So that's exactly what I was wanting to talk to you about though, is about communication in your book, Sexual Wholeness in Marriage, you talk a lot about healthy communication about sex. So I was wanting to ask you about that, but I also just loved your book so much. It helped my husband and I so much when we were first married. So thank you so much for putting your work into that. That was a pleasure. And it was a pleasure to work with Dr. Busby and Dr. Carol um, and, and just to collaborate on such an important work yeah, communication is just one aspect of it. And and truthfully, maybe one of the really, really important aspects of it, mm-hmm. because how we learn to communicate is really what helps create intimacy. And I'm not just talking about sex, right? I'm talking about emotional intimacy, intellectual intimacy, and spiritual intimacy. Mm-hmm. That's not easy. That's not easy to create that kind of an environment in your relationship. Most of us didn't have perfect models for um, how to communicate. So a lot of us are stumbling through it when we get married. And that's okay, as long as we can be upfront and understand we have a lot to learn. We've got to tackle this together. It's when we start hiding things and acting like, oh, we do know things or or we're just going to ignore those things. Um, we shouldn't ignore problems. We, we need to confront them. One thing about communication that I will say is that there's kind of a filter uh, across what I say and across what my spouse hears, because we have ideas in our head, what words mean, what tone means. And so sometimes I could say something that 
I intend to communicate one message, but my husband hears a very different message because of, you know, just how, how he was brought up or, you know, different things he's experienced. So once I see that what I intended to communicate wasn't received the way I thought it should be, that's my opportunity to circle back around and say, this is what I really meant. I think you heard this and start to clarify what it is. Oftentimes when we're misunderstood, that's where we just get our feelings hurt. We put up barriers, we stop talking. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so that's one issue of communication that we can start to work on um, individually and then as a couple. Mm -hmm. Definitely. It's really hard, especially I think about sex where it runs so deep in each of us and we each have our very own personal opinions and feelings. And then it's hard to communicate that you don't want it to be received in a different way. So it is kind of hard sometimes to take that step back and be like, oh, I think you misunderstood me here. Was this what mm -hmm. you heard? And it, it becomes hard not to kind of get in the cycle of being defensive and lashing out and <laughs> criticizing each other. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and in fact, you're right. In sex, it's even trickier, right? So if we're not communicating well on a day-to-day -day basis, mm -hmm. it's going to be even more problematic in sex because oftentimes so much of our communication is nonverbal, right? We're not even saying words and sometimes nonverbal uh, communication can also be misunderstood. You know, maybe we just wanted to snuggle, but then our partner is wanting to, you know, have intercourse. And, and so we, we kind of put up barriers again or uh, send the wrong signals. Like we're not interested. We were interested in them where we find them attractive, but maybe we're just too tired for intercourse tonight. Um, so there's lots of ways that we can run into problems just because of imperfect communication skills. Mm -hmm. So how would you recommend learning how to communicate in that way, being able to take the step back and talk about your communication styles and talk about how you maybe perceived what they were saying instead of kind of getting into the negative cycle? Yeah. So first of all, you know, Gottman talks about four problems in communication being uh, criticizing, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling. And, and these are things that we can kind of do a little self-evaluation. Um, how do I let these creep into how I communicate with my spouse? Um, and really, I think self-evaluation is probably one of the biggest things that we are weak at in our marriages. We kind of want to point the finger at our spouse and say, you're the problem. And instead, you know, it takes some courage to say, okay, maybe I'm not so good at that. Um, and so we know women uh, criticize more than men do. Now, both men and women criticize, but, and, and criticizing is where you're, just what I said, you're pointing the finger at the other person and not saying, okay, I have a part in this too. I can take responsibility, you know, for what, for what I'm thinking and feeling. Um, and then I want to talk about how something doesn't feel right in this relationship. And when we couch it that way, it's a complaint. It's not a criticism. Mm -hmm. And complaining is important, right? We have to be able to say, something's not right in our relationship. Can we talk about this? But that means we're taking responsibility for our portion of it too. Criticism, not good. Complaining, good. And the next one, contempt. That's where we kind of 
we are making comments or behaving in a way that is intended to belittle or uh, make our partner feel small, you know, make them feel stupid. Maybe, and, and we can do it without words. We can just roll our eyes and, and kind of scoff at what they're saying. And that's contempt. And the reason you wanna be so careful about contempt creeping into your communication is because uh, it is one of the biggest predictors of divorce. If contempt is a regular diet in your relationship, you're likely on a, a slippery slope that uh, is not gonna end up in a happy marriage. And then the next one um, is stonewalling. Now where women criticize more, we know men stonewall more. And, uh, and stonewalling is where you just kind of give the cold shoulder or the silent treatment. You withdraw physically or emotionally from the conversation. And uh, one thing I like to, to understand why men do this more than women do, I think part of it is because men have been socialized to not be in touch with their emotions. From a really young age, we kind of expect our boys to tamp down their emotions, not cry about things, not you know talk emotionally. We're disapproving of boys who have too many emotions um, displayed. And so when they get into a conversation with their spouse that's kind of charged and it is emotional, they, they don't have as much practice as women do. And so they physically have a response to that. Their heart rate goes up, they can get sweaty palms, they have tense muscles and they shut down. So if we see that happening with our spouse, a really good thing for us to do, a really good antidote to that is to say, you know what, I can see this is getting you kind of worked up. Let's take a break for 15 or 20 minutes. You can go on a walk or just go meditate or get a drink of water, whatever helps you kind of settle down and be in a frame of mind where you can then tackle the problem. And if we do that, no matter if it's our husband or if it's us, you know, if we take this break when we're really charged, what it does is it, it gives us both a little space to calm down and, and approach this, reapproach this in a more reasonable, thought out approach instead of these, these highly charged emotions where sometimes we just can't even function under those conditions. Definitely. My husband and I have a code word that we use when we feel charged and we're getting upset and we feel like, okay, maybe this isn't going where we would like it to go. This isn't constructive anymore. Code word. We take a break. We kind of like separate. It kind of helps us and detaches us from the situation a little bit. Yeah, that's really smart. The fact that you even recognize that um, will just totally benefit your, yes. your communication. Uh, yeah, it helps you know. a lot. Great. The last one uh, is defensiveness. You know, defensiveness is one of these patterns that all of us get into. Mm -hmm. All of us are defensive at different times. And, and truthfully, we learn it at a pretty young age. I mean, I, I like to give the example of my kids, you know, even when they're really little, I'll say something like, uh, did you clean your room today? And they'll be like, what? You didn't tell me I had to clean my room. You know, even though it's like a standing, <laughs> a standing chore, yeah. um, but we just automatically want to 
be defensive. Um, and so if you can start weeding that out of your communication patterns, it's really helpful. You could say, you know what? I can see why you might feel that way. I can see why um, you're bothered by, you know, whatever the issue is that was brought up. It really helps people feel heard. Um, and so really nice for us to do a little self-evaluation on those four problematic areas. Um, and all of us, I mean, I would have to raise my hand if someone said, you know, do you engage in any of these problem <laughs> communications? Mm -hmm. Well, yes, we all do at some level. And so just identifying where that's creeped in to your communication style um, will help your communication be more effective, more positive. That is so helpful. Thanks for sharing all of those things. Something that I wanted to ask you about is you were talking about complaining and how that can be constructive. And there are kind of two parts to communication, right? Like there's the talking part and the listening part. So I feel like the talking part is usually you come up, there's a difficulty in your sexual relationship. You decide that you want to bring it up, kind of comes off as a complaint. Can you talk about how to start a conversation in that way? I know that John Gottman says that 96% of the time you start a conversation in a positive way, it will end in a positive way as well. Yeah. So how do you start yeah. a conversation like that? Yeah. So he, got, he talks about having kind of a slow startup or a soft startup. And, and so a lot of times, I think in a sexual setting, it might be something like, um, you know, the last time we had sex, I really enjoyed how we, you know, engaged in, in this kind of behavior. We use this different position, whatever. So we talk about something that's positive that we're, that we're liking about our relationship. And, and then we bring up something that's completely about us, right? We're not pointing the finger. Mm -hmm. We're saying, but you know, I am really struggling to feel enough arousal um, so that I consistently orgasm. And, and I know we've talked about this before, but I'm wondering if maybe one solution to that could be if we take a little longer uh, foreplay and, and, we, and we don't rush sex a little bit. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but I think that would really help me. See, so there's a complaint. I'm identifying something that's a problem, but it I've already thought it through. I've owned that it's, you know, something I'm concerned about. Here's my part in it. And I've even offered a solution. Mm -hmm. um, maybe we could both buy into this, you know, behavior that would help me out uh, to feel enough arousal. Mm -hmm. So kind of pointing that towards women who are in a relationship with someone who is struggling with pornography, it can kind of be something like, I have been enjoying our sex lately, or I've been feeling emotionally close to you lately, but for some reason today I was really triggered and I don't feel like I can trust you right now and maybe propose a solution or something. Does that sound? Yeah. Yeah. That... You know, I think especially when there's kind of that elephant in the room, even, even during recovery, right? Where, mm -hmm. uh, you know, one spouse has been really uh, keeping to the goals that, that the couple has set. Um, it's still important for us to have enough space for someone to say, for whatever reason, I'm having a hard day today, mm -hmm. or maybe this is just a hard week. And if something comes to mind, like it might be an issue that you thought was resolved, but really it's not, right? There's, 
there's another layer to it that has popped up. And sex often brings that out because sex is so intimate. We are, I, I love how Elder Holland describes this in Of Soul Symbols and Sacraments. He says, in sex, in marriage, we're giving everything to our partner. So we've given our, our hopes and dreams. We, we're sharing our body with them. And so when, when sometimes our hopes and dreams get crushed because our partner has done something that breaks trust, we have to understand that has a lot of layers to it. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of there's a lot of sadness over what, what could have been and isn't, at least right now, right? We can still keep working to heal and build things, but we have to acknowledge that sometimes like right now, I'm struggling with that. And, and so trust issues have crept into my mind and um, I need to work through it. Mm -hmm. Maybe we need to have another conversation about how we are on track or how you have done things that are um, trying to rebuild trust. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's so important. And you can definitely use what you were talking about, the four horsemen to kind of start off that conversation and make sure you're not letting those creep in. Because if yeah. I would hear something like that, I might automatically get kind of defensive, you know, but if you can kind of do the soft startup, like you were talking about, it'll be a little less hard to get defensive. And you might just if I were my husband, I would say, wow, that's actually really hard for me to hear. I'm sorry that you're feeling like that. Let's talk about that. It would be yeah. much easier to have a better conversation about that, more positive. Yeah. You know, and I just, I want to say two things that, that help us to feel a little empathy for both sides of this problem. Right. I mean, I think that, um, you know, and, and I know we're talking, it's like it's largely men who are the ones struggling with pornography. So I will talk in these generalities, but yeah. I know it could be women um, and it could be men who are, who are trying to rebuild the trust with their wife. Men who are struggling with pornography use often have come from backgrounds where sex was not talked about in a positive way. It was not a healthy, open discussion. And a lot of times pornography was used initially because they were curious, they didn't have um, good information. Mm -hmm. And so they stumbled into it and then got caught in that, you know, those habits of pornography use. Or it was used as a way to regulate anxiety or different kinds of emotion that they hadn't learned to appropriately um, regulate. And so, you know, we can be compassionate about how people get into this situation. We know the antidote is to develop healthy attitudes, mm -hmm. right? To develop healthy attitudes towards our own sexuality and then our sexual relationship with another person. And, and so um, there's a lot of compassion that can come out of just under understanding that. But then on the other side, there's a lot of compassion for women who are sticking in a marriage where trust has been broken. And you know, and it's, it's different levels of trust because problems are different in every relationship. So we're asking women to not only stick in this relationship where there are some serious trust issues 
and probably some serious communication problems. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we're laying out how to communicate perfectly. So we're asking you to have all these intense emotions of feeling kind of crushed about your relationship. But while that's happening, communicate perfectly. Mm -hmm. So I think we have to kind of give everybody a pass sometimes and say, we might not get this perfect. We might not communicate perfectly. We might not always have a soft startup. There might be some times where we're speaking from a place of hurt mm -hmm. and uh, we can be compassionate to ourselves on, on both sides of this relationship. Absolutely. I love that you said that. And I love that you talked about being compassionate towards the men who are struggling with this. That is something that I feel very passionate about where so many people talk about it so negatively and it is, it's a really hard thing to struggle with, especially in a marriage. It isn't healthy. It isn't appropriate in a lot of circumstances, but you can have compassion to where these men are coming from. And that's one of the things that I've learned the most as I've been dealing with this with Matt is finding that compassion and empathy to where he's coming from. And he, he isn't wanting to hurt me. He isn't trying to ruin our marriage or something, but it is something that was learned and it is something that he truly needs help with. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that the two of you are learning to work together through such a difficult problem, um, you're strengthening skills in your marriage Oftentimes it takes decades for people to learn those kinds of skills absent a challenge like this. So, I mean, you're, you're on a fast track of learning and that's tough. And so not every day is gonna be perfect and there just needs to be a whole lot of room for you know, kindness and understanding and forgiving yourself and this self-compassion as well as compassion for your spouse. Definitely. I wanted to ask you along those lines about the other part of communication where it's a listening part. And that kind of goes along with what you we were talking about, about being compassionate. And I think that for some women, it's probably hard to hear, at least for me, it was hard for me to hear Matt talking about his addiction and how it relates to sex and finding that empathy. So I wanted to ask you about empathetic listening and how that relates to sex in this kind of situation. Yeah, you know, I, I think this might be a good time for us to bring up just mindfulness mm -hmm. because slowing yourself down, slowing down and being able to clear your mind and meditate for 10 minutes at a time. That's kind of the threshold that we know in research seems to be the right amount of uh, the right dosage for people to have really good outcomes. If you can just meditate for 10 minutes a day, we know that people are able to reduce the anxiety that they feel. So often when we're not listening to another person, it's because we're already ramping up some you know, idea or story or response in our mind. And so we miss a lot of what they say. Being more mindful helps us to pay attention to nuances that oftentimes we miss, details of how they're talking, um, you know, maybe, maybe they're talking from a place of hurt and all we hear is anger. Um, but slowing ourselves down will help us to listen more empathetically, um, more compassionately. Mm -hmm. So would you suggest doing meditation every day for 10 minutes or before you have a hard conversation or in the middle of a conversation? How do you apply that to those type of situations? 
That's a really good question. I think that we have to have some, a foundation laid, you know, so we have to, we have to be able to practice it on our own when we're not engaged in a kind of highly charged conversation. So if we practice it every day on our own, it's just part of our ritual of taking care of ourselves. It's kind of a self-care mm -hmm. sort of practice. So we get used to, to being able to be present in our body, clear our mind, um, allow ourselves that room to just be still. You know, I always, and, and here's a connection, you know, to our, our own doctrine. We cannot hear the Holy Ghost if we're filled with noise. We all know that. It's really difficult. Sometimes, you know, the, it, the Holy Ghost can break through in those really critical moments, mm -hmm. even if there's noise. But on a typical day, I think we need to be able to be still so that we can hear the still small voice. And I love the scripture that says, be still and know that I am God. Um, I think that helps us understand that slowing down, being quiet, taking that little bit of time to quiet our mind, quiet our body, actually helps us to stay in tune with the Holy Ghost um, a little better. There is no better teacher for how to get through problems in a marriage than the Holy Ghost. Um, you know, John Gottman's research is great. My research is great. Everybody has good suggestions, but the clearest teacher is going to be the influence of the Holy Ghost. It will tell you things about your partner that you can't know without that understanding. Um, it can teach you how to change your own behavior so that you can come together instead of allowing wedges to drive you apart. So um, yeah, I would say that mindfulness helps us in so many ways. It helps ground us um, so that we're not as reactive. It helps reduce our anxiety that we ourselves are feeling. And I think it helps us stay in tune with the Holy Ghost. Mm -hmm. I love that. Like I said, it was, it was hard for me to find that compassion and understanding for Matt, especially in the early stages of his addiction. I'm trying to wrap my head around it and trying to understand it. But I really did feel that so many times where the Holy Ghost spoke to me into my heart, telling me how to find that he was able to help me do that. I, I wasn't going to be able to do that by myself. That was right from the Holy Ghost. And yeah. that was really special to be that, able to feel that. That was the comforter part. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I love that. Yeah. Well, I love that you were talking about that mindfulness because I think there are so many women who feel a lot of anxiety in their relationship in regards to their husband's addiction or what's going on in their marriage. And that really transfers into sex as well. They maybe are feeling judgmental or critical about their bodies, maybe have low self-esteem, maybe worried about their husband if he's being honest and truthful with them in their sexual relationship or outside of it. And so I love that you were saying that that mindfulness can really help reduce their anxiety in those ways. Yeah, you know, that's actually one of the first areas that mindfulness was used in was helping control, helping people deal with their pain, physical pain, but then also heightened anxiety. And that's one of the biggest um, effects that we notice from mindfulness is that people have a little better 
way to cope with their anxiety. It doesn't take it away, mm -hmm. but it certainly helps us to kind of center ourselves and uh, understand what it is that may be bothering us and then let it go. I, I think you're absolutely right when you talk about women being so judgmental of themselves, especially in sex, mm -hmm. with or without a husband who's struggling with pornography, right? This is something women the world over are struggling with. And so women have a lot of anxiety about their body and how they perform and are they satisfying their partner and all sorts of you know crazy ideas rumble around in our head. And that's one thing that mindfulness we know really helps is that it helps us just identify thoughts as just, they're just thoughts. They're, they're not necessarily reality. Just because we think that, uh, you know, we have a little roll or <laughs> our breasts are too little or too big or whatever, you know, we start judging ourselves in all these different ways. Those are just thoughts. And the truth is, um, as we let those thoughts go and we intentionally stop being so critical of ourselves, that alone reduces anxiety. We start to see our relationship with our spouse clearer. Most men actually don't even tune in to those imperfections that women just obsess on. <laughs> uh, most men are just delighted that their wife wants to be with them physically and, and enjoy you know, this sexual relationship. And so it's really important for us to stop letting that wedge uh, create distance between us. So how would you do that if, let's say, you are maybe in the middle of a sexual encounter together and you start having these thoughts come into your head about your body or feeling anxiety about your marriage or your spouse, all the judgments that are coming? How do you let those things go in the moment? Yeah, you know, I would say as long as there are not issues of trust that are really plaguing you, I mean, you, you have a basic level of trust and you're engaging in a sexual encounter with your spouse and you start to have these little thoughts that creep in. A lot of times, if you have a mindfulness practice and you have a good pattern for how to regain this awareness just of your breath, right? Just go back to your breath. Breath is something that is with us from the moment we're born until the moment we die. Our breath is really what, what delineates life. And so if it's something that we always have. So even during a sexual experience, if I can just focus on my breath and, and just kind of slow down my thoughts, it helps me kind of let go of these nasty little thoughts that keep plaguing us. And then once you get centered on your breath, then start to think about, just focus on touch, you know, your, your spouse touching you. How does that feel? How does it, what thoughts maybe come to my mind when, you know, we're engaging in different kinds of touch? And can we slow the sexual experience down enough so that I actually can be aware of these details? We know slowing down the sexual experience actually benefits both men and women mm. a lot. It, it benefits women a lot because women have a little slower arousal pattern, but it also helps men uh, because men are often feeling a lot of anxiety as well. 
performance anxiety and, and maybe anxiety about the interaction between the spouses, especially when there have been issues in the past. That makes sense. Thanks for sharing that. To switch gears a little bit, I wanted to talk to you about something that I find really interesting, and that is attachment theory and how that relates to sexuality. Would you kind of explain a little bit about what attachment theory is? Yeah, so attachment is how well we feel connected to our uh, romantic partner. It, it really, attachment theory really began as a parent-child connection that we felt like we could trust this person, that they would be there for us. So we kind of wanted to belong, right, to that to our parents, we felt safe and comforted and, and protected in that relationship, which gave us the, the freedom to go explore as children. We could always touch back with our parents, right? As we got a little insecure about, you know, making new friends or going to school, we always had our parents to come back to. And that's a strong attachment, right? Where they can give us comfort mm -hmm. to actually feel this um, power to go out and explore. Well, we hope that the same thing is happening in romantic relationships, right? Between spouses, that we belong, that we have this sense of attachment, of connection, of safety, and that it gives us kind of wings that we can go and do things that we might not be brave enough to do absent that strong attachment. So that's why attachment's so important is that it really creates uh, healthy relationships, healthy, strong relationships. I love that, that you feel more confident in yourself if you are securely attached to your spouse. But I yeah. want to ask you, so there's, there are certain types of attachment styles, right? Everyone kind of has their own attachment style. Are there certain attachment styles that are maybe more prone to a pornography addiction? Yes, you know, we have, we have healthy attachments, right? So we, we would call what I just described, we would call that a secure attachment. But then a lot of people have what are called insecure attachments. They're still attached to this person, but um, it's either anxiously attached or avoidantly attached. So we either feel really clingy, like we can't get enough attention from our spouse. It doesn't matter how much they reassure us or how dependable they are. We just are very clingy. That's, you know, and that's an anxious attachment. Or an avoidant attachment is where there's been some, you know, unhealthy connection with each other. And so we just kind of avoid things. We're a little distant. We never really need to emotionally connect. Um, at least it appears like we don't. Mm -hmm. Truthfully, we do, right? Because this is an unhealthy attachment. It's an insecure attachment. So what we hope to do is, with communication and trust, insecure attachments can morph into secure attachments. Mm -hmm. But absolutely, those who are, you know, insecurely attached will absolutely be more prone to pornography use. Um, and a lot of that has to do with sometimes it can just be about regulation, mm -hmm. that it's difficult for them to regulate their emotions we know insecurely attached people have a little lower emotional regulation. And we also see emotional regulation is connected to pornography use. Those with lower emotion regulation are, are more likely to regulate themselves by using pornography. Mm -hmm. 
and also probably trying to find a connection somewhere else where they're maybe not feeling securely attached in their marriage. So then they're looking elsewhere to find some kind of connection that all humans need. Right. And, you know, that's interesting that you bring that up because in, in mindfulness research, we know that oftentimes any addiction, not just pornography and not, and, and not only those who are addicted, but those who've just fallen into bad habits, that's often comes from looking to find something that's missing in us, right? We're, we, we are not feeling complete. And so we're trying to fill a hole mm-hmm. uh, by these substances or pornography use or whatever it is. We're trying to find a hole, but the problem is we can only feel complete in healthy relationships. And so we're looking in all the wrong places, probably because we were taught or, or we never were shown what a healthy relationship looked like. So the antidote to this hole that oftentimes people feel, this incompleteness, is to engage in healthy relationships, right? To feel real connection with another person. Mm-hmm. Connection is the antidote to addiction. We know that. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet it's hard for us to actually implement that in our relationships because connection is a lot of work and it's a lot of vulnerability and it's a lot of intimacy. And sometimes when people talk about intimacy, they only talk about the great side of intimacy, like just being close. Sometimes being intimate is sharing the ugly side of us and being really vulnerable about what we know is not acceptable behavior or what we know is not acceptable thoughts. And uh, for us to be able to do that with our spouse takes a lot of courage and a lot of work. I love that. That's so true that you think about, I mean, I think about intimacy as kind of the positive side and how much joy it brings and how close you feel to them, but you're so right. You can't really have that joy unless you kind of have some of those ugly things too, right? Like, even though it's not as fun to talk about those things or share those things with your spouse, it really does help you feel more intimate and can increase your joy too. It does. Yeah, it absolutely does. So how would you be able to help and support your spouse if they do have an insecure attachment, like an anxious style or an avoidance style? Uh, You know, I think having these open conversations and maybe saying, I was just reading about avoidant attachment. Um, and I think that uh, maybe we can maybe we can engage in some communication that might feel really uncomfortable to you, but it will help us to learn to trust each other more and and be more securely attached. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that I learned about Matt kind of earlier on in his addiction is I feel like he's more of an avoidance style. And that was something that was hard when I'm trying to like talk to him and like, let's just talk and talk and talk. And you have to tell me everything that you're thinking and like, let's figure this out, you know, and that just didn't work. It wasn't helpful for us. And it wasn't until I realized that he does have an avoidance style. I was like, oh, I might need to backpedal a little bit and figure out how to talk to him in a different way that works for him. Yeah. And, and it's not that we, we don't want to let them off the hook, right? Mm -hmm. Even people who are avoidant need to stretch a little and talk more than is comfortable. Mm -hmm. But there's some new research that just came out last year about avoidance style attachment and sexuality. 
And uh, one thing that really helped avoidant, avoidant attachment um, individuals was physical touch. Mm. So um, kind of communicating without words might be a really nice startup to then also stretching a little and communicating with words yeah, I to understand that that could be a nice bridge, you know, a caress or just hold, taking their hand or kissing a little more often can help them feel like they're accepted and, and that they belong with you and, and overcome some of those avoidant tendencies. Mm-hmm. And that might be a little bit of a stretch for the woman and she's maybe feeling kind of you know, like detached from him or not wanting to physically touch him because she's upset or hurt. So it's kind of stretching for both parties, right? And helps intimacy. And maybe just laying it out there at the, you know, at the onset and just saying, I am going to use more physical touch, even though it's difficult for me, because I think it will help you. But what I want you to do is to stretch a little and start communicating a little more. Right. Mm -hmm. Both of us have to stretch and give a little. I love that. So kind of to wrap things up, I I had just a couple more questions for you. I wanted to ask you about, we were kind of talking about emotional intimacy and how it is so related to sexual intimacy. And sometimes I think that couples, myself included, we sometimes just jump right into sexual intimacy. Like, oh, we haven't talked in a few days. Let's just like have sex and hopefully (laughs) better. Right. That doesn't really work. You need to feel emotionally connected first. So some tips that you have for couples who are maybe lacking in the emotional intimacy department, how can you gain more emotional intimacy? I like to describe it this way that, you know, if we can kind of undress emotionally, we can really share some deep emotions that, that stretch us a little, right. That really share parts of us that we haven't dug down into. If we can share our our feelings of the last few days, if we haven't connected, some of our fears, our hopes, as we emotionally undress, we are preparing to physically undress, Mm -hmm. right? Because if we can share those feelings with each other and be that vulnerable and open, that is foreplay, right? That leads us into physically undressing and sharing our bodies. Um, And so I think that's a really helpful way for us to describe it to our spouses and say, you know, this is something that helps both of us reconnect with each other. And then we can physically reconnect with each other. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that comparison to undressing emotionally and physically. Mm -hmm. That's really great. Uh, Something that Matt and I do at the beginning when I'm about to share something vulnerable or scary, I say, I'm about to share something vulnerable. So then he kind of knows like, okay, gear up, like look at me. And this is like a no judgment kind of zone. So he really knows that I'm about to share something that's dear to my heart and close to me. And then he can kind of respond in the right way. And then I can do that with him as well. And that really helps us. Love that. You guys put up these little flags that kind of notify each other. Exactly. This is a safe zone. This is a tender zone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That always helps me at least feel a little more connected, especially when I've been feeling hurt or upset or angry, you know, being able to share those feelings without worry of him being defensive or judgmental or critical. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Last question that I had for you is I was wondering if you have some advice for like sex advice 
for a couple who is going through an addiction? Um, my advice is take it slow. You know, sex is such an intense experience uh, in a loving relationship. And when there's been a little damage done in the relationship, we need to step back. And, and sex isn't the answer necessarily. Mm. Rebuilding some trust, rebuilding some, some fun with each other, right? Reconnecting as friends is really essential. Um, and so a lot of people will think, oh, we've got to get right back into sex uh, to heal this relationship. Not necessarily true. Um, we, can, we can take it down a few steps and just learn to be friends again and learn to trust each other and take it slow. And I think that um, as we do that, we're, con we're, we're honoring the process of healing and rebuilding this relationship. Sex isn't the answer. Now, do we hope to get to that? Yeah, we do. We hope that we can maybe even just move a little bit at a time, move through that friendship, reestablish that, create some trust, create a good you know, track record. You can trust me. And here are our goals together. And let's have a goal, maybe in a month or in two months. What, however serious the problem is, the couple can decide. Maybe in whatever time frame, we can you know, re-engage in our physical relationship. But we're going to take it slow. We're going to honor we're going to honor sex too, because sex is a beautiful sharing of our bodies. Like, uh, you know, I'll repeat what Elder Holland said it's giving our everything. And we can't give our everything if there's not trust already. We're, we're going to have to hold back a little. And so we might have to hold back a little in our physical relationship and honor the fact that sex is sacred. And, uh, but once we've established that, we get to look forward to reestablishing that relationship too. I love that. That is such wonderful advice. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. Um, well, I do not have any more questions for you, but you were, well, I do want to say this, Katie, I adore you. Um, I just think the work you are doing is so important, um, both within your family and then that you're so vulnerable in sharing it with other women and men and, and giving them the courage to stick in there and do the really hard thing, which is repair and rebuild a relationship. Well, thank you so much. That means the world to hear you say that. So thank you so much, Shalom. You, I loved everything that you said, and I know you'll be able to help so many people with what you shared today. So thank My you. Pleasure. So thank you, Katie. Thank you so much for listening. We would love for you to rate and review this podcast as well as share it with everyone you know. For information about the church's 12-step and support meetings, please visit arp.churchofjesuschrist.org. We encourage everyone to find a sponsor or support person. If you have any questions, feedback, are looking for a sponsor, or would like to be a sponsor, please contact us at sobrietypodcast at gmail.com. We are always looking for more guests, so if you or anyone you know would like to be interviewed, please contact us. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.